0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Come on in. And grab a seat. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. I received that. That I, I feel it. Thank you. Um, if you're a dad or expecting dad or something like that, you got probably a card today, didn't you? You either got a card or you received a card. And I just wanted to share a card that uh, one of my boys drew for me. And uh, I want to see if you can guess what superhero this is. Can you see that all the way in the back? Anyone want to take a wild stab at that? Did somebody say Wolverine? All right, very good. Ever see the multiple Spider-Mans? Yes, yes. Boy after my own heart right there. You see that? Amazing. Now, why did he give me that card? Well, he gave me that card and I got some other cards uh, with one with one intention. Uh, my son wanted me to feel his love for me. That's, that's one goal. It wasn't to define Wolverine, Spider-Man, all this stuff. It was to communicate his affection for me. And what we've been doing as we've studied Romans 8 together, if you're with us for the very first time, is that we are exploring a chapter in the Bible in which God wants us to read and see truths, grab hold of those truths, and experience something subjectively. Not that we would get a great score on a test if we could define everything that's in Romans chapter 8, but that we would feel and experience His personal love for us. Now, if you've ever done poetry or you're a fan of poetry, um, there's always this part in the poem that's the home run line. That the person who's writing the poem uh, can't wait for the girl to read this one part and she's going to swoon when she reads that. Now, there's lots of, of crescendos and truths and and beauties already in Romans 8 and now we're getting to this one part before he wraps everything up to talk about God's love for us and that's what we're going to look at today and we're supposed to look at it and read it and soak it up and actually sit down to make sure that we've really captured everything that the poet is writing to us and I, I want to read that and then pray and get started. We're in verse 26 and we're reading through verse 30 Father, we ask that the truth of your word would set us free to love you, to respond to you in an appropriate, reckless, incredible way. That the truth of this word would tear down Whatever walls we place between us and others, and help us to love others as well, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there's one one really big idea, one central idea that I want you to to grasp from this text today. One idea, and here it is, beloved saint, God's love for you has. No limit. Follower of Jesus, hear this. Maybe for the very first time, or maybe as a reminder for something you heard a while ago, but you have forgotten. God's love for you has no limit. One thing that is true about you right now whether you feel like you're making it or whether you are absolutely blowing it, is that there is this uncontainable, unstoppable, boundless, free, towering, unending, shameless, reckless, endless, breathless reality hovering over you right now, every second, of every day without rest. Constant. And it's God's personal love for you. Now, as I say that, I can imagine about a hundred fences going up. Impossible given my baggage, given my history, given where I've been and what I've done and what I've thought and what I did today, for crying out loud, that would render that untrue. Not without limit, not boundless, not free, not uncontainable, not unending. Surely there's a footnote there. Surely there's a qualifier there. Surely there's something there in me that would make that untrue. I mean, we could just talk all day about a hundred reasons why... We feel like that can't possibly be true. And I think that this text today answers two questions that all those fences fall under. And here's the first question. How can God love me in a boundless kind of way with all of my internal weaknesses? All the stuff right here, all the sin... The stuff, the baggage there, I believe verse 26 and 27 speaks to that. And then the other question is, how can God love me in a boundless, limitless kind of way with all of my external messes, all the chaos out there, all the confusion, all the perplexing things I don't Get. Stuff I've done, stuff done to me, the mess. What's up with that? How can you love me in a boundless way with all of that? I believe verse 28 through 30 speak to that. So let's tackle the first one. Let's look at verse 26. How can God love us with all of our internal and personal and real Weaknesses. Well, notice what he starts off with. He says, "Likewise, the Spirit helps us." So when we see the word "likewise," what he's doing, he's picking up from a thought that he's already communicated about the Spirit. Romans eight could be talked about the chapter of the Spirit, resurrection life that Jesus, through His power, pours out on the church to make us free people, to make us loving people, to to help us. And so Romans eight talks all about the Spirit of God. And it's referenced in verse 15 and it's referenced in verse 23. How does the Spirit help us that He's already referenced? Well, look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In other words, our conscience and our, our internal spirit knows that we've, we've messed up with God. We have done things we shouldn't have done. And, and we ought to experience some punishment when we see His glory and His holiness. And so it's a fearful, Thing that we all recognize in here, but verse fifteen says we have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. The Holy Spirit is the loving spirit of God by which we are adopted as sons. And then it says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, we approach who was once a judge as a father the one who rightfully should should judge us, we approach him as dad for crying out loud. Dad, our eternal father, we actually call him Abba. And he in us causes that to happen, verse 15 says. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, he's referenced that the creation has groaned. You you think groaning is not biblical? (laughs) You think God has nothing to do with groaning? All of creation groans. Verse 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Very biblical. Why do we groan? As we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, we're living in this tension of the already and the not yet. We we recognize what the Bible says. We are in Christ and who we are and the way that God sees us in Christ. But we're not living that way. None of us are. We've got weaknesses. We're suffering. We're challenged everywhere around us. And we're struggling. And sometimes we're crawling and sometimes we have no idea what we're doing. And so we're groaning inwardly and the Spirit causes our weaknesses to find a voice. So... Notice what it says. The li- likewise, the Spirit helps us. Where does the Spirit help us? In, in high flying moments of victory, when we feel like champions, when everything is going great around us, when we've made all the right decisions, when everybody's looking up to us, like, wow, you've got it all together. According to our Facebook profile, I know your lives aren't like what they appear on Facebook. Bunch of liars. Not, not in moments of victory. Look at verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. In the midst of our weakness. Not on the other side of weakness. Not beyond weakness. Not in times when I'm not weak anymore. Now the Spirit's helping me. Thank you. That's not helpful at all. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of it, smack dab in the middle of our weakness, the Spirit helps us. So let's talk about weakness. If we believe that that is true, can we just take a moment and let's really explore weakness together? Let's do this. Lean into this. We hate weaknesses. We all do. We like to put on a show and project an image that everything is okay and we don't have junk in our lives that make us afraid and cause us to cower and cause us to fear if anybody ever knew this about me see there's some weaknesses that are easy to own up to mostly like being frustrated at work some of those things, that's easy to maybe ask somebody to pray for. I'm really struggling at work. Or, you know, I'm mad at my spouse. You know, I'm, I'm ticked off at my kids. On Father's Day! Is there any grace for that on Father's Day? Yell yelled at my kids five times on Father's Day. I blew it. Dads, you blew it in 2012, okay? And you blew it in 2013 already, too. Those are weaknesses, right? Or I'm angry in traffic, or I didn't really read my Bible like I should have this week, or my prayer life needs to improve. Those, Those qualify as weaknesses. If that's what you're struggling with today, that's in this verse. Those are real weaknesses. And they may be more or less easy for you to admit and confess. But what about the weaknesses we hate to own up to? Is there grace for that? What about my frustration at work is because I'm looking at porn at work and I feel guilty about it and I don't know who to tell? What if I'm mad at my spouse but sometimes I wonder about being married to a different person? Who do I say that to? Or what if I'm not just ticked off on my kids? Sometimes I get scared inside because I don't want my kids sometimes. And I don't have any idea what to even do with that thought. Or what other people would say to me if I said that out loud. Or I don't read my Bible like I should because I don't know if I believe what it says and I'm struggling to believe. My prayer life needs to improve because I'm just mad and fed up at God right now with circumstances like they are. My life hasn't turned out like I thought it would be, like I dreamed it would be. What other people even said it was going to be hasn't turned out like that at all. And I'm just angry. Those weaknesses qualify. Those weaknesses are included in this verse. There's even weaknesses that we don't know about. Maybe you've had the thought I'm really better than other people in this church. I'm better. I'm godlier. Have you ever had that thought? Everybody help me out. Shake your head yes, up and down. Yep, it's okay. Or I'm, I'm really glad I'm not like my neighbor next door. We've had that thought. That's hypocrisy. We've. We've all been hypocrites, okay? If you're a guest with us, you are in a room full of hypocrites and liars. And then there's weaknesses that we can't seem to forget. That time that we were abused. There's people in here that have been abused. People in our church have been abused. You've been emotionally abused. You've been physically, sexually abused. Or you've been abandoned. You were left high and dry. You were given promises and left. You were forgotten. And chosen. Somebody else left you for somebody else. You were betrayed. You can't seem to get that betrayal out of your heart. And it's a weakness, follows you everywhere that you go. And you don't know what to do with it. What do I do with these weaknesses? You can summarize all of the weaknesses with one collective voice, and that's in verse 26 as well. Look what verse 26 says. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. That's the summary of all of our weaknesses I don't know, I don't know what to pray for. I have no idea. You know what I'm talking about? I, I have no idea. You obviously know what I'm talking about because verse 26 says it so. We do not know how to pray for as we ought. I know I'm supposed to pray something really good about the situation, but this doesn't make any sense at all. This chapter in my life doesn't make any sense at all. Chapter three and four made perfect sense. Five and six got a little squirrely. Chapter seven makes no sense whatsoever. And I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to approach God. I don't know how to ask for prayer. I don't know what to do. Well, that's the summarized weakness. Well, notice here, there are two promises that help us smack dab in the middle. Right? in the middle of our weaknesses. Right in the temptation. Listen, right in the sin. Right in the middle of the sin. Right there. Here's two promises. Number one, verse 26 says, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God knows what we need in our weakness. And it's not some kind of steroid spiritual shot. That's going to get us through the day. It's intercession. It's intervention. It's another reality coming alongside us with his own personality, with his own desires, and with his own thing coming alongside of us and doing something for us. That's what it says. The Spirit himself intercedes, intervenes for us with groanings too deep for words. That means in the midst of the weakness, the Spirit comes alongside and is there doing something for us that we cannot do. We simply can't do it. We're at the end of our rope. There's no even. There's no rope around us. It's just gone. And there's the Spirit intervening. Now, an intervention is an orchestrated attempt by one or many people, usually family and friends, to get someone to seek professional help with an addiction or some kind of traumatic event or crisis. Maybe you saw the show on A&E. Maybe you were on the show on A&E. Don't look at season 9, 2003. That was me. It's an intervention. It's when people come in and they stand in and they do something radical... Because this person can't do it for themselves, they, they've tried every possible means, and so they, they need to intervene. Another idea here would be a stand-in. When we see the Spirit Himself intercedes, we should think that the Spirit Himself stands in. He, he comes in and does something that we can't do. You, you see this in Major League Baseball with a designated hitter. Why does the designator come in and stand in for a player? Is because the pitcher can't hit home runs. Pitcher's incapable, unless he's Nolan Ryan. You Remember, Nolan Ryan did, never mind. Stand-in. That, that, we get that in Major League Baseball. You see it in Hollywood. What's a stand-in in Hollywood? It's a stunt double. What does the stunt double do? Well, the stunt double comes in and does what the actor can't do and what the actor shouldn't do and what, in some cases, the actor's insurance won't allow him to do. The action is about to take place. Something dangerous is about to happen. And what does the director say? Cut. You go to the dressing room. You're incapable. Stunt double moves in and does what the actor can't do. That's what a stunt double does. Substitutes for the actor. The stunt double works behind the scenes. Anybody remember what the stunt double was or what its name was in that great movie that you saw? You actually thought that Like, Tom Cruise did that? He didn't do that. That guy didn't do that. The only guy in Hollywood that does his own stunts is Jackie Chan, and he makes terrible movies, right? He shouldn't be doing that. So the stunt double works behind the scenes and lets the other person get the glory, but he's the one doing all the dirty work. He's doing all the dangerous stuff. He's doing all the real work. He's getting the stuff all over him, sweat, dirt, broken injuries... And that's what the spirits are doing. Spirits interceding, standing in with groanings too deep for words. And isn't that helpful? Because there are some things going on in your life that no words can describe the confusion that you feel or the pain that you feel or the temptation that you're experiencing. There aren't words. I could throw a Webster's dictionary at you And say, find words for this pain. Find words for this confusion. And you can thumb around all day and you say, it it doesn't match where I'm at. The Spirit knows. And the Spirit can match where you're at with groanings too deep for words. So summarize this. In every form of weakness, hear this all the time. Every form of weakness. The Spirit is actively communicating to God from us on our behalf all the time listen that's happening right now whether you're engaged at listening to this sermon or you've checked out you could be asleep go ahead fall asleep the spirit is actively speaking to God on your behalf I uh, don't go to sleep by the way I prefer you just stay awake for a few more minutes Here's the second promise. It's in verse 27. Notice what he says. And, as if that isn't enough, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Do you all see that? The mind of the Spirit is the desires of the Spirit, the thinking of the Spirit. Those are all the the holy and pure and right and clean and unconfused thoughts of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit comes along and speaks for the saints according to the will of God. So you have no idea what to pray for. I'm totally confused. I do not know what God's will is in this, but the Spirit does. The Spirit knows exactly what God's will is for this. And He, verse 27, that's God, searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit. God can cut through every chaotic and confusion cloud in every situation of our life and find exactly what the Spirit in us is talking back to God in that. He can find the pure desires and the right thoughts and the right thinking and the clear expression of all of that because the Spirit of God dwells in us. Now this is this is resurrection life and hope. This is the gospel. The Spirit coming inside, resurrection life. Jesus says, I'm going to put a fountain in you that's going to flow up out of you to eternal life. This is the hope of glory according to Colossians 1.27. The mystery is Christ in you. Not just Christ outside of you. As beautiful as that is because He is outside of us but through His Spirit, Christ in us actually doing things for us that we absolutely cannot do. That's glorious. That's, that's, that's mysterious, but glorious. So capture these two thoughts out of verse 26 and 27. Just hold on to them. Listen to this. In our weaknesses, constant communication is flowing from us to God. That's happening passively. The Spirit of God is talking to God passively. Passively. Whether we are actively aware of that or actively engaged in that communication or not, the Spirit of God, it's in constant communication to God. And in our weaknesses, perfect communication is flowing from us to God. That's those two ideas. It's constant. It never stops. And not only does it not stop, it's exactly right. It's perfect communication. So maybe the next time you're not doing so hot and somebody asks you how is your prayer life I want you to turn to Romans 8:26 and in an unsnarky way say it's constant and it's perfect My prayer life is constant and it's perfect It couldn't get any better. Now, sometimes I actively engage in that in better ways than other ways. But God is aware of my constant and perfect communication to God. Now, that's good news. Listen to that. Yes, you are declared righteous in justification, which we're going to get to. But there's a definitive sanctification in us that at the core of our being, we are always pleasing to God because God is talking to God all the time. God is talking to God in our worst moments, in the midst of our temptation. Yes, even there, right there, God is talking to God. I have a uh, smartphone. I recently upgraded from a dumb phone to a smartphone. And I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty dumb guy, so it gives me a lot of relief because I get lost all the time. And there's this function on my phone that I absolutely love. I don't know how, you know, I even got around before, but and it's the GPS, right? Um, I can get in my car, and even though I have no recall of how to get anywhere, I can pull out my, my phone and click the GPS, and it syncs up to something outside of me and locates me exactly where I am in that position and and helps me along, right? Anybody love the GPS? Okay, I love the GPS. Here's the problem with the GPS. It drains the battery, right? So sometimes my phone goes off, so I, I leave it off until I need it. And sometimes I'm driving, and I'm like, oh, I didn't turn it on, and I hit the function too soon. And, it's, and, uh, and then my battery dies, so sometimes the battery dies. And so sometimes I forget to turn it on. That's a problem. And then sometimes it doesn't work. So you ever do that you GPS, you got the it's like monitoring you and it's like 2 miles away and the little green the little blue arrow is n- not right, synced up, but it's just not where you are. Well, the spirit has none of those problems. His his energy doesn't drain. He he's totally unforgetful. And he always is at work perfectly in us whether we're aware of it or not he is synced up to god and he is in us so let me summarize it this way god's love is not limited to us by our internal weaknesses because he is actively pleasing god in the midst of and in spite of all of our weaknesses through his spirit and, and, and prayer in that moment is an opportunity to actively join what God is passively doing in us. But what about the mess? That helps locate me in the mess. But what about the mess? What about all the stuff all around me? The chaos, the perplexities, the stuff I just don't, I don't get. And I've contributed to some of that junk and I have been a victim of some of it. So let's talk about that for just a second. Let's talk about the messes that we've contributed to. So you might be in a mess right now with your thought life. You might be struggling with lust. And maybe you've given yourself to porn or you've given yourself to, you know, something. You've opened up your life to something and, you know, you can recognize, okay, I'm, I'm struggling with something in my life right now because of something I've I've contributed to. I've, I've done something to contribute to the junk I'm experiencing right now. I know how that feels. Um, If you're a man in here, uh, you're likely recovering in some form or fashion from lust and pornography and what's out there in the world. But maybe it's got a grip on your life right now, and you're like, I I need to get free of this, and I don't know how, and I don't know how to tell anybody because it's embarrassing Maybe you've run up the credit card and you've got to pay the credit card off now. And so you're in a season of saying, I did this and here, you know, I've contributed to something. It's a mess. I've got to, I've got to clean up and I don't, I don't know how to really go about that. Or maybe you've gossiped about a friend and you're trying to repair the relationship and it's icy cold, but you're trying to, trying to bridge over or you failed to do something. You promised something and you just failed. You just blew it. And you're like, how do I, how do I turn this around? How do I? I've contributed to this, but I've, I'm the cause of it, and so how in the world can this mess get cleaned up if I've contributed to it? We've all got that. We've all, we've all got stuff like that. Okay, so you're in a room full of people who've contributed their own stuff. We're all sitting in our own stuff right now. Okay, but there's some messes that we're a victim of. Now, somebody has hurt you, and it was wrong. And they should not have done that. They shouldn't have emotionally abused you. They shouldn't have abandoned you. Somebody's objectified you, and they should not have done that, male or female. They shouldn't have done that. It was wrong and evil. Maybe they gossiped about you or judged you, or or you're suffering from some kind of injustice. There's messes that we are a victim of. And, uh, and the problem with any mess, big or small, if we can just be honest, is that it is so cotton picky, messy. We hate messes because it's just a mess. It's just terrible. It's just horrible. We just don't know what to do with a mess. I, I hate messes. I'm the, like the toy Nazi at our house. So I like walk around and I'm at a certain time of the day, pick this up, throw this away. I just hate messes. And there was this one time when the boys were, were really little, this diaper age, and uh, I had told a friend to come over or something like that, and I, I am cleaning up two little babies that had blowouts, both of them. If you don't know what a blowout is, I can inform you what a blowout is, but I'll do it after the sermon. It was a blowout, okay? Horrible Horrible smell. You guys with me? Any parents in here? Any dads on Father's Day? Okay. Uh, blow out. Terrible mess right in front of me. And so I'm busy trying to clean this up, and I'm just wanting to vomit, and I'm getting sicker the more I do it. Uh, I'm just like, poop's getting everywhere. Poop's on me. Poop's on them. Poop's getting on the carpet. And I don't know what to do with all the poop. Okay? Meanwhile, that's the moment when the next-door neighbor knocks on the door. And, and, you know, she can hear everything. I'm just aware that she knows what's happening. And so I can't, like, everything's fine, you know. So I reluctantly answer the door and poop's everywhere. And she says, uh, uh, you look like you need some help. And, uh, and I said what we all say when a lot of poop in our life is everywhere and it's just obvious, I'm okay. <laughs> it's all good. Don't let that smell hurt you. It, it's all good. I got I got this under control. Kids crawling around, poop everywhere. No. We, we hate a mess and we hate to admit to a mess and we hate to admit to poop, you know? We just hate to admit to it because it's just so messy. Well, look at what verse 28 says. There's hope in the midst of the mess. It says, and we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. So note the the words there. Hang on to the all things work together for good. All things means every single thing in your life. Big, small, otherwise. All means all. It means all-encompassing. Every single thing in your life. What does every single thing in your life do if you're a follower of Jesus, and you love God? Well, everything in your life, all the weaknesses, all the messes, all the junk, work together. That means it finds a common purpose. It is made to converge upon a unified goal. That's what it means. It's it's purposely moving towards one thing, and that one thing is not evil. Chapter 6 looks like evil, but chapter 10 looks like good. Look at that. For good, everybody see that in your Bibles? All things work together for for good, not for evil. I'm sorry about chapter three. I'm sorry that that evil happened. I'm sorry that that chaos and that mess happened to you. It shouldn 't have happened to you. But all things are working together for some future good. and we could talk on and on about what that future good is but it's rooted in the glory of God and in our joy and happiness. At some future date, you will look back and say, now I get chapter 3. Now I get it. But listen, it's okay to not get it right now. And please, beloved believers, don't take Romans 8.28 and hurriedly slap it into moment of chaos too quickly it is truth we need to hold on to but we do need to be careful in how that how that thing is applied because it can sound callous like we're uncaring or that the weaknesses don't matter in verse 26 and 27 that's not what paul is saying they do matter this is hope in the midst of our weaknesses so who is this promise for the promise is for those who are called according to his purpose we say well how do i know i'm called according to his purpose Look at the first part of the verse. For those who love God. You know you're called according to his purpose if you love God. And this is how we gain assurance. If you want to know, how do I gain assurance? Assurance is the fruit of faith. It's a feeling that flows from faith. And as our faith rises and falls, so is assurance. Assurance is going to rise and fall. So you say, how do I get assurance? You, you answer that with, how do I get faith? Well, how do I get faith? It's not by looking at your faith, it's not by looking at your assurance, it's by looking at Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of... Can anybody finish it? Yeah, that's right. God. Jesus. Assurance is, is found as we look away from ourselves and we we find Jesus and his love and love flows up out of us and confidence flows up out of that. So summarize. For those who love God, God promises to edit Even the most confusing story of our lives into a happy ending. No matter how chaotic it seems right in the middle, it's going to end well. Now, there's this incredible gospel centered movie called Taken. (laughs) Gospel centered. And in it, Liam Neeson's a father, and he, he loves this girl, his little girl. And um, this girl, at the beginning of this movie, just makes these stupid mistakes. I mean, she, you're watching this thing going, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Like a lot of our lives, don't, don't, don't go there. Why did you make that choice? Oh, things aren't going to go well. She makes stupid mistake after stupid mistakes, and she ends up in the absolute worst possible predicament, kidnapped by sex traffickers. And is a fictional story, but that's, a, that's a, a very real reality that as you watch that as a dad, everything in you wells up to protect this this girl in the midst of something that she has contributed to, her falling into the hands of these sex traffickers. And in the midst of the chaos, dad promises something to the kidnappers not going to imitate Liam but I am going to read what his character said in the movie he says I don't know who you are I don't know what you want but if you're looking for ransom I can tell you I don't have money but what I do have are a very particular set of skills skills I have acquired over a very long career Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. Now, I don't mean to spoil the movie for anybody, but from that point on, you know what's going to happen, right? The father is going to be reunited to the girl and there's going to be some chaos, there's going to be some confusion, but he's going to roll over evil in this movie in the pursuit of the one that he loves and it's going to end well. First part is confusing and challenging, but it ends, it ends well. So let's, let's close with this. How can this be? How, how in the world can this be? How can God's love for us be unlimited and free like that and boundless? In the midst of the external chaos and in the midst of all of our personal and internal weaknesses, is there any any solution to this? Well, look at verse 29. Look what it says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So many... People in Christianity like to take verse 29 and 30 really kind of out of context and say, let's debate this thing. Let's, let's just think about this out of context. But what this verse is for is for the suffering and those that are hurting and those who are confused and weak. And so that's the context. But what does for no or for new mean? Well, there are some uh, Christians and uh, and historic evangelical Christianity that would take the word for new this way to know about or to know ahead of time and uh, oftentimes it's communicated to know ahead of time about those God knows will choose him i don't I don't think that this verse is saying less than that if that's where you're at welcome you're you're welcome to explore this text with us but I, I think it is probably saying that and more. Because in the Bible, over and over again, knowing doesn't just mean a statement of God's omniscience. God knows about something. It's often communicated relationally. To enter into relationship with. That's why Noah knew his wife, and then what happened? He had kids. God knew Israel in a specific Way that means to enter into a relationship, to choose beforehand. So it's a, a statement even about God's choosing love. And then it says, for those who God foreknew, this loving dimension of entering into a relationship with He predestined, and that means to direct a person to a particular goal. So if you say, what does predestined means? It means to orchestrate something towards a good end. And I think that this idea of foreknowledge and love that surrounds that and predestination is how we're supposed to even think about this very challenging concept. This is like swimming out into the deep end of the pool, you know, your, your, your feet can't touch, you know, you, you can only doggy paddle there for so long before you got to get back on shore. That's, that's where we're at. Okay, this is swimming out a little bit and enjoying it and then come on back, back home. But Ephesians 1 talks about it this way. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So foreknowledge is this, this loving disposition of God by which he directs people to a particular goal. In love he predestined us for what? Not estrangement, but adoption and relationship. So predestination is, is considered loving before and loving during And loving after to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace and love. So this is how we're supposed to even approach this. And and we understand this a little bit when we see international adoption. If anybody's ever gone down that road or you'll go down that road in the future. In an international adoption, you travel to a different, different country, country not your own. And what do you do? You make a connection. You enter into a relationship of sorts with your future son or your future daughter. And then many times you have to go away for two weeks or two months or sometimes painstakingly six or years or so. There's tons of stories like that. But all the while you're working towards the goal to direct that child who you've entered into a relationship and a connection and a match with to you. And that's how we should think about this foreknowing and this predestining. Well, what's the purpose of it? Look at verse 29. Here it is. The purpose is to be conformed to the image of his son. So think about the good. All things work together for good. What's the best good that God could do in our lives? Well, verse 29 gives us a glimpse of it. To be conformed into the image of his son. Well, why is that good news? Well, think about it this way. Is there any higher expression of beauty in the world than Jesus Christ? Can somebody express something that is more beautiful than the love and the glory and the face of Jesus Christ? No, there's no higher expression. Is there any greater place of royalty and honor than the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Any higher place of dignity? Any higher place of honor? Can you think of anything bigger? Well, no, you can't. And and I can't. And, And this is wonderful news for us. To be conformed into the image of God means that we will begin to express the very beauty of Jesus Christ that we're going to be conformed into His beauty, that we're going to be conformed into His royalty, into His honor, into His dignity. There's coming a day when we will be beautiful, beautiful in, in love, and perfect and glorious, and and will be royalty. This shouldn't surprise us. That's what First Peter says. You're a chosen race, a royal, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that we'd proclaim all of his excellencies. So to be conformed to his image means something much bigger than you and I, I think. It's not about being nice. It's about conforming you into this nicer person. He's conforming you into beauty itself, to holiness itself, into love itself. I mean, Jesus said things to disciples that blew them away. He says, one day... The righteous will shine like the sun. That's that big blazing thing outside. One day, you, beloved, are going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. That's beauty. That's royalty. He closes it with verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is often described as this eternal, uh, chain that is unbreakable because of the way that the words are added up. Predestined, called, called, justified, justified. He also glorified. So again, what, how should we think about predestined? It means chosen in love to steer away from darkness to himself. This relational idea. I'm heading towards darkness in my weakness. I'm actually moving towards darkness but something steering me outside of me to relationship with this eternal loving God. That's what predestined means. How does he do it? Notice, he calls. Certainly that means an external call, but what this idea here is a pursuing action of God, a, a beckoning, a summons, effectively wooing us to himself. This is how God does it. So, you know, he doesn't, You know how it's depicted sometimes in cartoons. He doesn't walk out of the cave with a mallet and then knock you over the head and then just drag you back to the cave. (laughs) He beckons, he draws, he summons. You can all look back on your life and you could say, God was summoning me there. He was beckoning me there. He was drawing me there. You can all look back and and see that. And for some of you, it's happening right now. God is drawing you to believe and trust in him for the first time. He's wooing you. Why would you resist? Why would you resist this love, this beauty? Why would you resist this call? Why would you resist this forgiveness over your life, this amnesty and freedom? Respond to this beckoning summons. He is on bended knee towards you in Christ. So he calls, and those who respond in faith, notice, he justifies. Oh, for just more time to talk about it, but time is limited. And so I'm going to summarize here. To be justified means to be declared innocent and righteous, even though you're not. Declared innocent, righteous, That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. He made him to be sin, our sin, who knew no sin, although we know sin, so that in him, in relationship with him, we could become the righteousness of God. That means perfection in his eyes. To be clean and innocent and pure. Justified. Made right with God. And those whom he justified, he wraps it up by saying he also glorified. So there's a, a right now declaration that, you, that you're forgiven. You're forgiven and, and you are free. And then there's this hope for some something futures. if that's not enough, God is going to make us visibly the way that he sees us. He sees us as royalty. He sees us as, as his children. He sees us shining brighter than the sun even though we're clouded with darkness and despair many times. He sees us in a future state and then one day he's going to make us visibly transcendent and able to love God as we ought and able to love each other perfectly that's what to being glorified means it's it's, it's beyond us but it's beautiful well let me close with this final thought Deuteronomy 7 says it was not because you were more in number Than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, so you're saying, "Why in the world did God set His love on me and choose me?" So you're like looking around for something good in you. You're looking around at your pedigree and say, "Man, I'm maybe it's because of my parents, or maybe it's because I did that really good thing that one time, or maybe I'm just awesome." And so He must have set His love on me because I'm just so rockin' awesome. Well, no. Deuteronomy 7 says, it's not because of any of those reasons, but because the Lord loves you. It's because of his love. Not our love for him, not our actions, not our our good deeds, but because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. It's because of his love. Why does the father have baseline affections for me even though I'm a wicked dad many times? It's because God's love has no limit. And if I want to know where the well of love comes from, to flow up out of me, it comes from not by looking at your well. It's by staring deep into his heart and coming to the conclusion that he has set his love on me me because he loves me. Because he loves me. Because he loves me because he loves me and being unashamed to look deep into that well until something comes up on you and you realize I love him I love him because he loves me without limit boundless, free unending no matter what your weakness is You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at Frisco dot org.